Al Simon with Sandler Training by Simon Inc. Your host on Business Radio X show, Simon Says, Let's Talk Business. And in this show, we, uh, we, we talk with high-performing, only high-performing business professionals. We do it so we can sharpen our skills, learn new ideas, concepts, insights, share best practices, and get to know really smart people. So, listeners, listen carefully. Take some notes. And look for our guest's contact information at the end of the segment so that you can engage with them if you'd like. And today you're going to want to because we have a terrific guest today. And as always, at the end of our guest segment, I will have our Ask Al uh, sales tip with the questions our guests write in with. Okay, so our guest today, Ethan King. Ethan, welcome. Ethan King is the uh, founder and CEO of Zeus's Closet. And, uh, hey, Al, thanks for having me. Great to be here. Yeah, really good to have you. I've been looking forward to this because uh, uh, Ethan is an entrepreneur, and, 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 and I just love people who have that entrepreneur spirit because they're creative, they're driven, and they're smart people. And, uh, and, and so Zeus's Closet is your business, Ethan, or at least one of them, and, but, but you really want to talk about the lessons you've learned over your 17 years of entrepreneurship. Isn't that right? Sure. Yeah. I, I, I want to do whatever I can do to deliver the most value to your listeners. So, you know, you, you lead the way, Al. You, you are the Sherpa here. Um, whatever you want to talk about, about my background or my bio, if you want to share that with your listeners. Yeah. Well, um, we, can do, we can do some of that. I want to, you know, want to get your, uh, get your insights going. And, you know, but, but, it, but you raised a good question. So you've been an entrepreneur for 17 years, but how did you get mm-hmm. there? What, what's, the, what's the backstory on all that? Yeah, that that's that's fantastic. And that actually leads into my first point is that your story is really the soul of your logo. Like a lot of times people look people think about a logo being a shape or a drawing whatever, but it's really your brand is really the essence of you, especially as a small business. Um your your personal your personality, your core values, all that is going to shine through into your brand and your ability as a leader to distill that across your brand is what is going to make you uh, successful and leave a legacy that lives on uh, beyond you. If you think of like a leader like Steve Jobs um, and what he did for Apple, and now that, you know, he's he's long gone, um, but the brand still lives on as the most uh, cash profitable business in the world, right? Yeah. Um, so that's the, that's the dream of every entrepreneur is to, to leave that type of legacy. So with me, um, you know, I really didn't share much about my personal journey, my personal background until in recent years, I'd say about five years ago, I started sharing it. And that had a lot to do with EO, which, by the way, is how you and I know each other. It is. Um, through Entrepreneurs Organization. Yeah, great organization, a worldwide yeah. organization. But the Atlanta chapter that we're both in is very strong. Yes. Yes, yes. Uh, so EO is about 14,000 members worldwide. It's uh, It was started in 1987 by Vern Harnish and a few others. Um, but one of the the core things, when, when you first join Entrepreneurs Organization, um, you go into this thing called forum training. And they break down the walls of the entrepreneur. And it's like, okay, cut all the crap, go vulnerable, and really share that 5% uh, vulnerability that you don't share with the rest of the world. Um, and that you maybe you don't feel comfortable sharing it with your employees, your spouse, but what's really bothering you, what's really eating at you 
um, and and you, you you can feel free to share it here because it's a safe space. Everything is confidential. Um, so this you know this forum training was the first time I had really broken down and I and I shared with it, you know, it's public now, but at, at that time I was very ashamed of a lot of a lot of things that I shared. Wow. Um, and when I was a teenager, you know, I got in a, a lot of trouble. Um, I actually got kicked out of college um, for doing like petty, stupid stuff, um, you know, stealing stuff, shoplifting and really? scams, wow. this and that. Yeah. And um, I actually, I found myself in a jail cell twice before at the age of 19. And that's when I really had that kind of come to Jesus moment, like, you know, hey, this isn't the future for me. I don't, you know, I don't want to be another statistic. You know, my stepdad was like, I'm not going to bail you out of jail again. Wow. And um, so my background, I was an I was an art major. Growing up, I was really I was into drawing and painting. And my parents naturally said to me, hey, you know, you're not going to make any money as an artist. Artists <laughs> don't really make any real money until after they're dead. And you want to make money while you're still living. <laughs> so uh, there's some so, advice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sound advice. <laughs> um, me being the stubborn, hard headed kid I was, I, I wanted to prove them wrong. I majored in art anyway. That's how I ended up, you know, getting in all this trouble, trying to trying to prove a point, trying oh, to make wow. money. Yeah. Anyway, long story short, took the, the wrong path. They were they were right. When I graduated from college with an art degree and a criminal record, it was pretty tough for me to find uh, productive employment. Mm. So I ended up working at uh, at some very odd jobs. Probably the most uh, the worst one, the most memorable one was. I worked at a strip club for about two years and I was the the bar back, meaning I my job was to clean up the bar, take out the trash. Whenever somebody got a, a hangover, I had to clean it up, yes. uh, clean up the, the the vomit and stuff. So it was yes. a pretty humiliating job. You know, at first it sounds like a teenage boy's dream, right? To work in a strip club, but no, it was, it was yeah. not. It was in a very grimy, dangerous part of, of Atlanta. Um, you know, I could go yeah. on with the stories of wow. the, the horrible stuff I witnessed there. I'll bet. Um, yeah. But it was the only source of income that that I could find at the time. And mm. um, my natural talent in art led the strip club DJs to hire me to do promotional products for the strip clubs. Okay. So I was doing the flyers and the posters and things like that. All right. So I was like, oh, OK, well, this is cool. I get to kind of use my talent a little bit. But then, you know, a lot of guilt came with that because I'm like, what am I really using my talent to promote here? Mm -hmm. um, I, I grew up in a, in a Christian household. My, my stepdad is actually a, a, a minister. And um, so it, it aided my conscience to be creating these graphics that I couldn't put in any portfolio to try to get a real job. I can't imagine. So yes. um, you know, I was kind of trapped in this whole little ecosystem yeah. of the Atlanta Strip Club nightlife. So uh, to abbreviate the story a little bit, I was continuing down that path, but one night I had a wake up call and I was on my way to another gig and I got robbed at gunpoint. I got carjacked wow. and they took everything. And I, I, I thought this guy was going to kill me. Like I, I ran wow. for my life and I could hear my car screeching off in the distance as he drove away with all my equipment, all my stuff in the car. Yeah. And that's when I said, you know what? Um, I, I took it as an, a sign from God. I was like, I'm done with that lifestyle. I never set foot back in the strip club industry again, um, you know, for, you know, ever since then, um, you know, as, as a career. And it, it's no, I, I, it's no coincidence that after that, doors just started opening up in my life. 
and I got a call from uh, Tyler Perry, the famous um, oh yeah movie mogul. Yeah, uh, this was before he was the the famous movie mogul Tyler Perry. He was just doing stage plays at the time. Okay. I didn't know who he was, and got an email from his assistant like, "Hey, we're looking for a graphic design firm to do all of the graphics for our plays." We ended up in a working relationship for over ten years. How about that? Um, and I, he's a very inspiring uh, figure in my life, a mentor. Um, at the same time, I, was, I started up a side business with me me and my girlfriend, or my girlfriend and I, Monica. Uh, she was in a sorority. I was in a fraternity. We started up this side business called Stuff for Greeks, where we sold fraternity and sorority paraphernalia on the internet. And it was a relatively new thing. That ended up taking off. Um, we became one of the leaders in the industry, and we still are to this day. That nice. was nearly 20 years ago. Um, and then as that grew, we decided to open, uh, we outgrew our home basement and we were able to purchase an office building in West Midtown Atlanta um, with the little money that we had saved up. And then we, so we moved our offices there. We opened up a retail store. We called it Zeus's Closet. We wanted the loose connotation to the Greek world, but we also opened up to other verticals. So now we service uh, school uniforms, the film and TV industry. Um, you know, we do any type of embroidered, customized apparel. Um, our core, our distinguishing factor is that we um, we do advanced design. Everything is done in-house. So we can do it as fast as same day service. We have very low or no minimums even for most of our products. So we're able to, to serve a market that most of our competitors can't serve when they're like, well, you gotta have a minimum of 36 pieces and it'll be at least two weeks. Well, in, in this day and age of fast moving, um, you know everything and you yes. have you have smaller businesses you have a lot of a lot more startups now um especially in the era of you know post-covid era you have a lot of work from home type things and people don't need 36 uniforms 100 uniforms it's like hey i need to outfit me and my wife or our five people here and, and i we got a trade show tomorrow so we're able to service that market um with fast turnaround times advanced design and very low minimums well, let me, so let and, me uh, let me stop for a second so this yeah. is interesting because because the talent, the skills, the drive was always there. It's just mm -hmm. that you were trapped in this ecosystem and habits that were not productive. Right. But then you made a decision to change. Right. right. And and your and your your businesses and your career took off. Yeah. Yeah. That is an uh, amazing I mean, story. And when you put it that way, you know, it's the same. We're given, you know, the same tool set or the the same um deck of the same cards in our hand and it's yeah. about arranging them a certain way and playing them in a certain way right yes and if you don't play it the right way then your life can go in a completely different direction my life um you know would, would could have hit it in a completely different trajectory had i not made that decision to, to change my wow. direction that is so all right so this is this is key because our listeners I, I, I bet there's a whole bunch of people out there who wish their career was not what it is right now. And they're wondering, you know, should I go back to school? Should I go to trade school? Should I, what should I do? Uh, but it starts with a decision, right? It starts with a decision to change your life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It does. And what I would tell someone who's feeling that way, um, I think we all kind of feel that way from time to time, especially if you've been doing the same thing for a long time, you start to ask yourself, is there more to life and what am I missing here? What, you know, what possibilities am I not exploring? And, you know, 
I'm I'm a big believer that you can really have it all in a sense um, if you do it in a, a certain way. Yeah. And my I tend my tendency is to follow like like really listen to what what the universe is trying to tell you by the questions people ask you. Like in my business stuff for Greeks, um, people were trying to hand us money. So at first we started out as just graphic design for Greeks. I didn't know how to do any type of clothing. I didn't even know what it was called. I'm like, how do you get a jacket made? I guess you go take it to a seamstress or something. And um, people, we would design jackets for people and say, you go get them made somewhere. You know, we don't do that. And people say, yeah, no, I want you to make my jacket. I, I want you to just do the whole thing. And I'm like, I don't know how to make jackets. I, I can't help you. And eventually enough people asked and I said, you know what? I'll just say, yeah, okay, yeah, we'll do it. And I'll never forget this girl paid us $200 to, to make her a jacket. We didn't have a clue how to do it. Wow. <laughs> but, but now, so I, and that's how I operate is, you know, once you pay me money, I'm going to fulfill, I'm going to over deliver. That's one of our core values. So I had to figure out how to make this girl's jacket and deliver on the promise. So we, and this is how long ago it was, we had to open up the phone book and flip through and figure out, oh, embroidery, maybe that's what it's called. And we found a company that, and we showed them an example, like, can you make this? And they said, yeah. And, uh, you know, they, they made like little league football uniforms or baseball uniforms and stuff, but they were like, yeah, we can make that. So they made it, you know, we marked up the price a little bit. So we, we gave, we fulfilled the girl's order and that's how we got started early out in business. And a business model was born. A business model was born, you know, and eventually yeah. we got our own machinery and brought it in house and hired right. staff and so forth. Um, but that's how a pivot works. Um, in my mind. So if you're thinking about a pivot, listen to what's out there and, and find what's in alignment with what you enjoy doing and what the market wants and will pay for. And and then that third thing, you know, this and you probably heard this before that that hedgehog is that that third mm-hmm. part is um, what makes your part unique, what makes your offering unique. Yes. So those three things, what you're what you're interested in, what the market will pay for and your own unique twist on it. And that when you find that sweet spot, that is when you will make the money and make the impact and do what you enjoy doing in life. Excellent stuff. Now, you gave me some one liners here that you're going to explain to our listeners. And I'm, I'm interested in learning what these things are. Like one of the things you said was you can share with us the real secret to giving the most memorable business gifts. Yeah. Right, so what, so what, um, what's the secret? Yeah. So here's the secret. So in my industry, another thing we do is promotional products and everybody gets the swag, right? You have pins with your logo on it, mugs with your logo. Um, Those are probably the two most popular um, promotional product items. And, you know, it's our tendency to give, to send clients a gift that has our logo on it. Right. But the most memorable gift is actually something personalized that has their name on it and no mention of your logo at all. They know who it came from. Um, And and this isn't a unique idea. I actually got this, uh, well, I knew it in the back of my mind, but it confirmed it for me when I read a book called Giftology by a guy named John Rulin. Yeah, I've heard that book, yeah. Yeah, and I think it was an EO event, and they sent us a a beautiful knife, a Cutco knife, and it had my name and my wife's name engraved on the knife. It didn't have any mention of EO or anything else on this knife. But every time I pick up that knife to cut something, I think of EO, even though their logo isn't on it. So if you really want to make an impact to your clients, give them something personalized that's unique to them with, with their name. If you, if you want to give them a jacket, great. 
give them a jacket with their name on it, their logo on it, not your logo. They're always, every time they put that on, they're going to remember you. That's, that's great advice. Key. I love it. Yeah, because that makes, that's what makes, makes it special. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. I, I can't tell you how many pens I have around the office and training center uh, yeah. that have, yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> our logo. And, 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 yeah. and what that says, sub, subconsciously what that says, when, when you receive that pen from somebody who has their logo on it, it's like, yeah. hey, I value enough for you to, uh, I'm marketing to you, you know, yes. it, it, it's, it's kind of insulting your intelligence a little bit. We all do it. We're all guilty of it. Um, but, you know, if, if you make that shift, I guarantee you will see a big change in the retention um, of clients because you want what you want is adoring fans, like people who are your, your friends, your loyal customers for life. Yes. Here's another one that you another one liner that I'm I'm I, I'm got a feeling I'm going to agree wholeheartedly with this one because I think I've shared I believe depending on, how, on the details here but you said simplicity always wins. What's that oh, one man. about? Yes. Yeah. So so in our industry and it, probably in every industry but I'm going to speak from experience. Um, there, pricing is super complex. It's like if you go to most embroidery shops and ask how much does this cost to get my logo on on these shirts. I say, oh, we charge $2 per thousand stitches or whatever. Who knows how many stitches is in their logo? The average person <laughs> does not go around knowing, oh, my logo has 8,000 stitches. So this is going to cost $16 or whatever. No. So we, you know, coming into this industry, we say, scrap that. We're getting rid of that. It's flat fee pricing. Our pricing is very simple. It's very transparent. It's on our website. You can calculate it yourself. It's easy to figure out. Um, so that in every industry you have these convoluted terms, these convoluted yeah, there is this, pricing there's models that. and business yes. models that have been passed on through the years. And I challenge you to just to, to just stop and look at it and be like, why? Why is it this way? And why do I have to do it that way? I don't have to do it that way. Yeah. Let me put a twist on it and just simplify it. Yeah. If something is hourly or something, make it flat. Make it a productize it. Maybe see how that goes. Um, so that that's the challenge. Like when I say um, simplicity always wins, that is what I mean. Because a frustrated mind, they say if you confuse, you'll lose, right? Yes. So when if, you're, if your customer has to burn mental calories figuring out what you're talking about, <laughs> what, what am I going to get? How much does it cost? What do I have to do? What are you going to do? When am I going to get it? The more they, the more mental calories they have to burn, the less likely they are to do business with you. That is so true. I, I, I'm a big believer in simplicity in everything, but in, especially in the case of pricing, I think where that, you know, where pricing complexity gets, gets into the mix is people like to do cost plus pricing, right? They cost plus their, their intended margin. And, and so, and then they start thinking, well, but yeah, we, but we can't include this and we can't include that. So that has to have their own cost plus. And so they get getting and it just starts getting really complicated really quickly right? because they're worried about margin. Mm -hmm. And um, and that's you know, so I'm not saying that you know that that uh, all the bean counters there are wrong because they have their role and and it's a very important role. And by the way, my wife plays that role for us, so I better be careful here because I think she might be listening. But yeah, <laughs> but well, I do. No, cost plus is important. You you yeah. make always make sure that your margins are in line. So when yes. you come up with this creative flat pricing, you have that built in there. Like we we have great margins built into what we do, and people will tell us like. They, 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 our customers come to us and say, you know what? I went with you guys because I just understand you guys are probably more expensive than these other people, but I didn't know what they were talking about. They weren't reliable. They weren't responsive. So you, you can actually be 
the more premium product, the higher price product with simplicity. So that's another advantage to simplicity. So Good you have those point. margins built in. Good point. Okay, here's another one I, I want, can't wait to hear. You said, what you don't say is just as important as what you do say. So there, you think there's yeah. some words we should avoid, obviously, huh? Yeah, and, and this is another thing, um, and, and I know a lot of your listeners are into sales. And Side note, we're all in sales. This is the most important skill you can have. Um, but the scare words like in, in uh, our industry are shipping. Like nobody wants to pay for shipping. Just think about it. I mean, how many people have an Amazon Prime membership? It's because I don't want to pay for shipping. I don't even know what Amazon Prime costs. Me. What is it, $200 a year? But I, just, I expect free shipping. Nobody wants to pay for that. So avoid that type of terminology where people feel like they're wasting money. Avoid the word rush fees. So in our business, yes, we offer rush service. You can come in and get same day service. You can get next day service. And we show you the different pricing at those different levels. But you'll never see the word rush fee because if somebody sees, oh, this costs $50 plus a $25 rush fee, they're gonna try to like, I don't wanna pay that rush fee because it, it, it feels like they're paying for nothing. Whereas if you just say, the same day price is $75. The next day price is $60. Then they'll say, oh, I'll take the same day price. It, it's, it's the whole psychology of it. So just avoid those words. Here's another quick one. Avoid using the word dollars, especially in a, a high-end product. Why say the word dollars? If you're, say, if you're selling something to say that's 10,000, you know, say, well, your investment today is just 10,000. You don't have to say dollar unless you're unless you're have a global product where you need to distinguish right. USD or yeah. euros or yen or whatever. Um, just say you know it's just an investment of ten thousand. There you go, love it. Yeah, another another example of simplicity wins too. Right. You said speak their language. What do you mean by speak their language? Yeah. So, um, and I guess it's all kind of ties back to simplicity. But this is another psychological thing. Um, if so, in every industry, like in our industry, we have uh, convoluted terms like digitizing. If you come yes. to us with your logo, let's say you want the, the Alzheimer or the Business Radio X logo embroidered on something, it first has to be digitized for embroidery. Yes. Well, people come to us and they use different terms. People will say, well, how, I need to get my logo digitalized. I need to get my logo vectorized. I need to get it um, set up. I need to get the artwork creation. They're, they're all talking about the same thing, right? So why, when you communicate back to them, whether it's on phone call or in an email or in a text message, whatever it is, use the same word they used. Why change the language? Again, that only confuses people. It only frustrates people. Um, you know, at the worst, it kind of makes it kind of makes them feel dumb when you say, well, no, it's actually called digitizing. Here's how much it costs. Yeah. Just use the same language. What, what does it hurt? If somebody comes to me and says, um, how much will it be to set up my logo for embroidery? Say, well, it's $160 to set up your logo for embroidery. Why well, say, well, it's it's actually digitizing. Here's how much the digitizing fee. And we're like, what? Oh, what are you yeah. About? yeah. You know? now, now they're just more confused. And they're, and, the, and you're right. You, you made them feel like they asked a stupid question. How's right. that going to do for a repeat customer? Right? That's not good stuff. Yeah. Right. I love it. This is really good. This is really good. We're, we're getting a little short on time there. I want to skip to the one. You said the man or woman with a thousand dreams. Dot, dot, yeah. dot. What is that? Yeah, there's a great quote that has stuck with me a long time. The man or the woman with um, who has his health or her health has a thousand dreams. The man or the woman who doesn't have their health has but one. 
And that, when I heard that, that really stuck with me. Cause obviously you, if you don't have your health, you can't focus on anything else. It's tough. So, um, a, uh, kind of a passion project that I took on this past year in 2020, you probably remember a lot of, a lot of crazy stuff happened in 2020 you think? and, um, yeah. uh, stress levels increase when stress increases, cortisol increases, people gain weight. You know, a lot of us put on those COVID-19 pounds. Yeah. Well, I, I was no exception. And I said, you know what, I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to get back in shape. I did that. And I posted this picture on my Facebook of, you know, my, my before and after. And I had a six pack and people were like, oh my God, what did you do? What's, what's your formula? And I was like, oh, well, I just do this and this. Doesn't everybody know how to do this? And I found out that people don't know how to do it. And I have a lot of friends who have weight problems. So um, it sent me down this rabbit hole and I started this side business called Six Pack Dads. And if your listeners are interested, you can go to sixpackdads.com. It's a six week challenge and it's more than just a fitness challenge. There's a lot of the mental, the mindset, the mental, the, the sleep, the, the mindfulness, everything that goes into it, plus the workout, the diet, the nutrition. Uh, my exact formula that I use to keep a six pack at the age of 42. Um, and I was, I was fortunate. I ended up on the magazine cover, Best Self Atlanta, over 40 and fabulous. I was, I was the You're cover what? winner last year. Hey, so hey. a lot of crazy stuff happened. And I took this health pivot. I never intended to be, be in any type of health business. And now I am. All right, six pack dads. Six pack, six pack dads.com. Dot com. Okay, and then Zeus's closet is uh, Zeus's ZeusCloset.com, right? Uh huh. Z e u s closet.com. All right. So again, this is Ethan King, our guest, uh, the uh, founder and CEO of Zeus Closet and Six Pack Dads. Uh, and uh, what's the best way? To, is it that these email uh, or these uh, website addresses? Or what's the best way to get a hold of you for listeners wanting yeah, to get a hold of Yeah, those website addresses will take you to those respective businesses. If you want to follow me, just simply go to my website, ethanking.com. I have links to all the social media channels, ways to follow me. You can email me, ethan at ethanking.com. I'm not some super important guy. I actually check my email. I'll respond to it. Um, what do you mean you're so not yeah. some super important guy? Uh, you must, you must, most important are, are. guy I've talked to today, man. Come on, <laughs> awesome. This is great. Thank you so much, Ethan, for being with us. Thank you for sharing your insights. Really Thank good. Thank you for having me, Al. Absolutely, absolutely. So yeah, once again, this is Al Simon with Sandler Training by Simon Inc. And uh, we do sales and sales management training and coaching. Typically, our clients are looking to us to help them to uh, build the skill sets. Uh, to to be able to to take care of the, the frustration of not having enough on their pipelines for one thing and not closing enough deals for another or, or closing deals and having a discount to do so. We we uh, work with all those kinds of issues. Plus, uh, our clients are always looking for us to help them hire the A players. And uh, so anyway, we have this segment we call Ask Al. And I'm getting ready to do that here, Ethan, is it, it, because we our listeners send in their questions on sales. And, and, and if you're listening and you want it, you have a question you want me to answer on the air, uh, my email address is al.simon at sandler.com. al.simon at sandler.com. S-A-N-D-L-E-R. And send in your, your question. And in each, each show, I pick a question to answer on the air. And here's one a uh, listener sent in. It's, the, the question is, what's the biggest gotcha that you ever experienced from a sales prospect. And I have to tell you, I, I thought through this one for a long time because there are several, but maybe the biggest one happened like in the first month of my sales career. 
1977, yes, I'm that old, <laughs> 1977, uh, right out of college, and I was working uh, for NCR Corporation selling cash registers in Columbus, Georgia. Now, this is, this is pretty, pretty glamorous right here. This is, this is exciting stuff. And um, now I remember I was, I was downtown Columbus, and I was calling on a uh, clothing store, a men's clothing store. And the owner of the store said, do you have any references for me? Do you have any references for me? And I want to talk to other clothing store owners who are using your cash registers. So, you know, I went off to some research, and there were only a couple. And so I provided this guy with the names, phone numbers of these uh, couple of uh, clothing store owners. And then went back to him, I don't know, a week or so later. I don't remember anymore. It's long ago. But I remember when I went back to him, he laughed at me, Ethan. He laughed at me. He said, you'd better check your own references because these people are not happy. <laughs> and I didn't get the business. And, and that was a real lesson right there. It was a real lesson. So, so let me share with you, you know, now that I'm in the sales training and coaching business, cause I, and mostly because I've got all these bruises, <laughs> these lessons. Like you, Ethan, you know, you learn lessons from mistakes. And... Um, and so here's the thing. If you're going to, if you're going to get references, and in many cases, prospects want to, want to talk to references. Okay, think about that. Your prospects are going to talk to your customers, and you're not going to be there when they have that conversation. Think about that a minute, all right? The, the situation is dangerous, right, because there are no questions that are out of bounds, and, and you can't really do much about the answers, now, so here's the, here's the thing. First of all, obviously, vet the references before you give them out. Vet them, you know, prepare them for the call. Make sure they understand who's going to call them and why. Talk to the person that wants the references. Ask them what kinds of questions are you going to be asking. What do you, you want to know? Uh, what do you hope to learn? Make sure you understand all aspects of this dynamic uh, uh, conversation that's going to happen without you. And, uh, and then prepare your referenceable account for and coach them on how to answer for, for, for one thing for sure I, I tell my clients you know if I have someone call you please don't talk about the pricing you know please don't they'll probably ask and, and it's okay to say to to my prospect that the, you know, the investment is significant but use those words the investment is significant that's the words I want them to use I don't want them to use numbers I don't want them to say wow Al's really expensive or you know uh, you just the investment is significant, and the word investment is key there. It, 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 it implies an ROI. Because then when I go back and talk to the prospect again, we'll talk about the investment, and we'll talk about the ROI. But, see, that's my job as the salesperson. It, that's, it's not my, my customer's job to tell my pricing to my prospects. you got to control that. you got to have, have control of that. Uh, and, and by the way, if there are no referenceable accounts, you know, really, in, in, in the space in which your prospect wants the uh, references, like in, in the case of my gotcha, the you know, wanted clothing store owners in Columbus, Georgia. Well, if you don't have any referenceable accounts in the vertical or in the geographic area or whatever it is, just say so. Just say so. You know, just say, you know, Mike, I'm sorry. I don't have anybody currently using us in that space. Is that a problem? Can we talk about it? And, and, and have that conversation with your prospect. 
and find some other way to allay their fears uh, or to give them the information they were looking for that they were hoping to get from uh, a referenceable account. So anyway, most people just fire off the names and phone numbers and email addresses and say, okay, you have at it, and they don't take the time to really do this well. And the thing, when you give out references, as I know, it can really hurt you or it can really help you, but you have a lot of control over that if you take the effort and time to do the control. So that's the sales tip of the day, the Ask Al segment, talking about how to handle reference checks, reference uh, uh, requests from prospects. So this has been Al Simon with Sandler Sandler Says, Sandler Training by Simon Inc. on Business Radio X. Simon says, let's talk business. Ethan, thanks for being with us, man. Thank you. It's really good Great stuff. To be here. All right. And everybody else, good selling. <laughs>